you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 4. God, who at sundry times and diver manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are the eternal God, you are our eternal Father, you are the supreme of all the earth and the heavens, you rule and you reign, you have all of this as your domain, you are the King, you are the Lord, and we bow before you, yes. you are our God. Yes. You have sovereignly, providence, uh, through providence, brought us all to this very place at this very hour to sit under your word, and we pray that we hear from your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and understanding of minds. Give us your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 40, verse 5, speaks of the glory of the Lord that shall be, shall be revealed. There's a verse right before that that speaks of the one who is going to prepare the way. Mark takes that verse, and he begins his glorious gospel, and he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In that, he was giving a, an announcement. It's the very same type of announcement that would bring about Caesar as he would come into a city or a town. The gospel, the good news. And it's that Jesus Christ is come. Amen. The Son of God. The book of Hebrews does a wonderful, amazing thing. Uh, there's a, not much given on who actually wrote Hebrews. We're not told in the text. We're uh, only supposing, but I suppose that it was Paul's sermon 
that was written out by Luke. Because it's Paul's theology and it's Luke's vocabulary. And he does a magnificent way of putting it forth. This is the way that Luke writes, I think. Verses 1 through 4, what we just read in Hebrews, is actually one sentence. Isn't that amazing? One sentence. And in the very first verse that we see, verse 1, God who at sundry times and divers man who spake in the time past and the fathers by the prophets, what he utilizes there is a grammatical technique of giving to us. You can't see it in the English. It's there in the Greek. But it's very much like what, Ma- what is done in Matthew Matthew chapter 5. And he takes each of those Greek words, there's five of them, and they all begin with the letter pi, which is the letter P. Matthew's gospel does the same thing in chapter 5 when the Lord brings the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with what? The Beatitudes. Makori, 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 Makori. Nine times he gives the word that is translated blessed. And what that technique was doing was acting as a billboard to say, here's what I want to show you. It's as if the writer of Hebrews can hardly contain himself to show us the very glory and the majesty of his subject. And his subject is Christ. Christ is all that Hebrews is about. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. He's telling us that the heavens are shouting at us. I heard John Piper say, He shouts in blue expanse and Gold horizon. He shouts at us with clouds and forests. He shouts with galaxies as stars. He's shouting, I am glorious. And that's the heavens. But we have something very much better. Verse 1 of Hebrews, chapter 1, gives us the subject, God. Verse 2 gives us the verb, Spoke. God spoke. This is very much greater than the heavens declaring the glory of God. This is God Himself speaking. Aren't you glad He spoke? Dear Christian, let me say this. As a believer... Your final authority is God's Word. There is no other authority. God has spoken. And He lays it out for us. He lays it in a grammatical manner. And I know most of you probably don't really want to deal with grammar, but... Yeah, and this is the thing though. Grammar here 
is absolutely essential to his message because it just lays out for us three clauses, grammatical clauses. I'll even point them out to you. You have the first one in verses 1 and 2. And this speaks of the majesty of his fulfillment. Christ fulfilled what God spoke. The second comes to us in verses 2 and 3. And it speaks to us of the majesty of his person. There is a description that is given of Christ. And he gives it in wonderful terminology. Wonderful words. The final clause is verse 4, in which he adds something very special. And we'll get to that in a moment. At the end, the majesty of his superiority. So the majesty of Jesus is what I want to bring to you tonight. The majesty of his fulfillment, the majesty of his person, the majesty of his superiority. Looking first at verses 1 through 2. The majesty of his fulfillment. Here is God, and the writer does a unique thing. He says, uh, God being the subject, I'm going to give you two adverbs that will describe for you about how and when and to whom and by whom God spoke. At sundry times is the first adverb, and then at divers' manners, all describing God's way of speaking. This is what he did before, what he did in time past, what he did long ago. He had spoken unto, uh, unto the fathers by the prophets. He did it at sundry times, or literally many times, in divers' manners, or literally in many ways. These two adverbs indicate a partial revelation. He was not yet done speaking. But there's something even extraordinary here. Has in these last days spoken. The phrase, in these last days, is used here to refer to the time period that began when Christ is exalted and ends with his final subjugation of all things under his feet. Let me show you something about the way that the writer puts it. You see here there is a contrast, verses 1 and 2. When did God speak? He says in verse 1, in time past. He says in verse 2, in contrast to that, these last days. To whom did he speak? Verse 1, he spoke to the fathers. Verse 2, unto us. By whom did he speak? Verse 1, the prophets. Verse 2, by his son. How? 
Verse 1, he says that sundry times and in divers manners. But guess what? There's no counterpart. There's no contrast there. Why? Because it is leaving it at by his son. In other words, the son is the counterpart. The son is the end of all speaking. There is nothing else to be said. There is nothing that I can say like the Lord told me. You hear that on TV. Folks, that is not biblical. That is not scriptural. That is something in addition to the Word of God. Because it is not merely that the Scriptures are finished. By His Son is the important aspect. He has come. And He has finished revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the writer glaringly is pointing out that the fullness of revelation is a unique and finalness and the completion of it that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament, God speaking, is not inferior to what He's saying in the New Testament. It is all God-breathed as much as what is in the New Testament. There is a progression of revelation to the point in which the coming of the Messiah happens. When Jesus comes, and He came, He brings the very Word of God in human flesh. Because He is the Word of God. You see, His majesty is in that He has fulfilled all that God has spoken. In Him is the fullness. In Him is the richness. In Him is the multiplicity of the Word of God. He is the revelation. As the writer said, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond Christ. He is it. The prophets were a distinct group, chosen, called, appointed by God, to convey his message, but here everything culminates in this one word in verse 2, and that is Son. You see, the writer is telling us and pointing us to, with all the grammatical ways in which he can write, Christ, Christ, Christ. That's what he's all about. It's It's almost like he can hardly contain himself. You notice he gives no, nothing here that would resemble what is an epistle and a letter. There's no salutations. There's no benedictions. There's no uh, welcoming statements or anything of the sort. He just jumps right into. He's like, let me show you the majesty of Christ. Here's the point. In Christ, he says, by his Son, we have the hermeneutical key 
to the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the hermeneutical key, that is the interpreting key of all of the Scripture. That is, the Old Testament can only be understood through the Son. And so, as he comes into his writing of the book of Hebrews and he lays this thing out, all you see is better, 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 better. By whom? The Son. This is the majesty of Jesus Christ in His fulfillment of God's Word. Anything added since this revelation is completed is blasphemous because the Word of God is fulfilled in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The majesty of His fulfillment. God spoke and Christ Fulfill it. Fulfilled it. Verse 2, the majesty of his person. The writer doesn't stop there. If that weren't enough to get your blood as a Christian boiling, he doesn't stop there. He says, let me tell you about this person, the Son. And he utilizes seven statements concerning the Son. He says, first of all, Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Verse 2. He, that is God. This is the action of God, the Father. Whom, speaking of the Son. This is the pronoun that is has its antecedent in the Son, which was right before it. The Son is whom we're talking about. Him whom he, God, hath appointed heir of all things. Here's a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Since Jesus is the Son of God, then he is heir of all things. And is the deed, holds the deed of everything. We have a deed for four acres in Grant Parish or Louisiana, but even that is God's. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created by Him and for Him. He has all ownership and full and final control. Romans 11.36 says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. He is the heir. Everything that is, is His. Everything that exists, exists for Jesus Christ. Revelation 5 pictures God on His throne with a scroll in His hand. That scroll is the title deed of all that there is of heaven and earth. And He hands it to the Son. It's all His. And the beauty of that is that it includes the inheritance of your salvation. He then says, that's the first thing he says about it, but the secondly, he says, he made the worlds. By whom also he made the worlds. The word here is very uh, interesting that he doesn't use the word 
cosmos, which is the normal world, word we have for world, but he uses aeonios, which is the word for age or eternity. And what he's pointing out is, is that Jesus Christ is not only creator of the physical earth, he is responsible for creation, time, space, energy, matter. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, there's your time. God, the creator, uh, the force of that created, there's your energy put into action, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Every aspect of creation, he has invoked all of that into and made it. He is the creator. Just think of the vastness of our universe. Do you know that there's 1.2 million Earths that could be fit inside our sun? And that still leaves room for 4.3 million of our moons. The nearest star, Alpha Centauri, is five times larger than our sun. Wrap your minds around that. And there are literally trillions of stars. That is, as far as the eye can see in space, what we have been given the view are ten thousands of thousands of thousands of galaxies. That's not just one star. That is thousands upon thousands of stars in those galaxies. The vastness is just mind-boggling. We can't think in those kind of numbers. The North Star, which is the brightest star in all the dark sky when we walk outside, is 400 trillion miles away. At the speed of light, 187,000 miles per hour, I'll let you do the math because I can't do it. Where did all this come from? Forget about that. Who conceives something of that sort? Who conceives you? And wonderfully made. (laughs) The creator is this son. Third thing he says, the brightness of his glory, the manifestation of God. He is the only radiance from God to us. Like the rays of of the sun warming the earth. This glorious light of God shining into the hearts of men is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the light Light of the world. world." You see the darkness of sin in this world, don't we? may be tempted to be in great despair. Jesus Christ is the full expression of God in human history. He's the radiance of God's glory. Not only that, number four, He is the express image of His person. We're talking about the majesty of the person of Christ. Not only does the Lord Jesus Christ manifest God, He is God. Amen. 
In substance, he is the exact image, the express image. He is the impression. The picture here is an impression of a stamp on a seal. He is that. When Caesar put the stamp on his seal, that was the authority of the emperor because of the stamp that was placed on the wax. It gave full authority. Whoever brought that brought the authority from the throne in Rome. Colossians 1.15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God? How do you have an image of something invisible? The icon of God. The exact representation. Colossians 2.9 says, In Him, that is Christ, dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily. That's amazing. You see, are you seeing the majesty of Jesus Christ? Look at number 5. He says in verse 3 in the middle, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Not only has He created all things, He didn't just leave them to just kind of go their way. He upholds them. It means to support, to maintain, even to carry as a burden. That's what He's been doing for me these 58 years. This is also in the present tense indicating a continuous action. He's constantly doing this. He is holding the stars in their places. Everything. Everything in the world. Everything on the earth. Everything under the earth. Everything under the seas. Everything in the universe is right now at this moment and in the next moment to come being sustained, supported, maintained, carried by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Think about that. There's this Canis Majoris. This is Latin for the greater dog. Or in Louisiana we call it the big dog. This is a constellation of stars in which there is Sirius, that brightest star in the night sky that actually is a binary star. There's two parts of this star, there's Sirius A, type A1V, and there is a faint white dwarf that is companion of type DA2. I don't know what all that means, but I know this. It is 8.601 light years from our sun. One light year is 6 trillion miles. And it's the brightest. And he keeps it in its orbit. Isn't that incredible? Christ upholds the big dog on nothing. And if you walk out those doors tonight, it's still there. He upholds it. And He does it in a yada way. Yada is a Hebrew word used 944 times in Scripture. It means to know and be known. Now let me put this in perspective for you so that we can understand. 
It's one thing to think about what he does in the universe with all these stars and he keeps them in space of nothingness, hanging them in complete space. Psalm 139.1 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and yada, me, known me. He's known me. You know what that means? It means that not only does he uphold the big dog, but he upholds you and me. The majesty of Christ. You may think things are going wrong. You may think that everything's falling apart. When the Lord looks as if He's going to take your wife, maybe when He does take your spouse, when He takes your child, Remember this. He yachts you. He knows you. He's upholding you. The majesty of Christ. Number six, he had by himself purged our sins. Now it's really getting good. Isn't it? Now it's really getting good. What a wonderful statement. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him, that is Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. How is that possible? He created the worlds. He upholds them. But greater than that, He purged our sins. Hebrews 7.27 says He doesn't need to do it even daily. He did it once. Hebrews 9.26 says, He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And if that weren't enough, He throws in this last one that He says, He sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. As you read through Hebrews, Christ's resurrection is not Prominent. That's an amazing thing. When I thought about that, I was like, why in the world? This is, this is everything about it for us, right? The resurrection of Christ, but there's more than that. The focus of the book of Hebrews is on Christ and Him exalted. He sat down. He's at the right hand of the Father. He sat down is a sign of honor, a sign of authority on His throne. He sat down as His work was accomplished. Romans 8.34 says He sat down in intercession for us. That's the majesty of Christ in His person. Heir, Creator, brightness of the glory of God, image of God, sustainer, redeemer, exalted one. This all anticipates the eventual subjugation of all things to His feet. He is the ruler of all. And here's the result. I'm looking at that going, it just can't get any better than this. But look at verse 4. Being made so much better 
he obtained a more excellent name, the majesty of his superiority. There is a comparison that is made here. It's another grammatical tool that the writer of Hebrews uses here, and I think it's even the most fantastic here. The writer makes a beginning with the angels, and he says he is so much better than them. He stresses this all throughout his book. He says 13 times, better, better, better. He's better than the angels. He's better, uh, better hope. He's a better testament. He's a better promise. He's a better sacrifice, a better substance, better country is a better resurrection. He is better everything. What that means? Jesus Christ is superior. He's talking about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is above all things. He is the supreme. There is nothing greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. By virtue of His finished work of purging of our sins, He has better and obtained a better inheritance. He has a more excellent name. It's interesting, as you go back to verse 2, you see he was appointed heir of all things, but here he is an inheritance that he has obtained. Um, theologians call that an inclusio, meaning he gives something here on this side of it, and he gives something, it's kind of like bookends. And here is this inheritance, and here is the inheritance, and it got even better. all because of what he had done, purging our sins, and sat down. He was exalted. This is a beautiful sense of the rhetorical skills that just continually intensifies every verse that we read. A more excellent name. What is that? Well, he doesn't give us a name. But what is he talking about? The Son of God. Interesting thing in some of the study of this Son. 2 Samuel 7.14, which is what the writer of Hebrews quotes here in just a few verses, says, I will be, <coughs> excuse me, I will be his father, <coughs> And he shall be my son. It's interesting. John, in his gospel, John 1 through 3, he speaks of the word. But in John 1.14, he becomes son. It's when he became flesh. Son of God. The sonship inextricably is connected to his incarnation. His sonship comes into full bloom in His resurrection. Begotten again from the dead. Romans 1, 3 and 4 says He is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It is there in which He is uh, born a son again, so to speak. He became a son at birth My Father is in heaven, he says. 
And then he is declared to be a son of resurrection. The fullness of his sonship just comes in. Acts 13.33 ties this in. The same psalm, Psalm 2.7, that is quoted here in Hebrews 1.5, relating the quotation to his resurrection. Jesus is son in resurrection as well as in birth and his incarnation. It is his human title. Not that he is eternally subservient to the Father. He became the Son for our sake, according to the Father's plan. And by that, he humbled himself and became obedient. And angels then, who are indeed excellent creatures, maybe the most excellent of all God's creation, He has a more excellent name than they. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is superior. He is supreme. He is the majesty on high. That's the majesty of Christ. That's the beauty of the Son of God. That's who you've been brought to worship tonight. Our Father in heaven, we praise your name. We give you glory. We give you honor. You are our God. You are our King, our Lord. And Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is what gives us life. Your word is what gives us understanding and knowledge of you. And we just thank you for these four verses, what the writer just put before us tonight that lay out the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ in such glorious detail. Thank you, Father, for your word. And may we understand and know that Jesus Christ is majestic and supreme, and superior. He is the ruler, the reigner, the king of kings and lord of lords, and we are your children by your divine decree. We just rejoice and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.